Louie, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Rose? Where we're going, we don't need Rose. No. I am your father. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. You're listening to After the Ending, the only film podcast where we tell you what happens after the ending of your favorite films. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Spring and Phil Edwards. Hello and welcome to After the Ending. I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And Phil, I think we have a pretty interesting episode for people tonight. There's going to be a lot going on, but first, let me just blaze one up oh, as, I head, as I head off into hyperspace. <laughs> yeah, okay. We'll just take some random elements from the two films and mash them together. I'm down with that. It's because I realized I haven't got an intro to uh, actually get into the films any further. <laughs> well, I, you Blum. know... He- <laughs> Here's the thing, you know. Well, why don't you tell me what we're what we're doing first before we talk about any any of the any of the films? Tell us what tell tell us what we got in store tonight. Yes, we're going to be going after the ending of Pineapple Express and Interstellar, two very different films but with similar concepts behind them. Sure, it's about people wanting to you know expand their brains and there you go, Italian planes yeah. consciousness. And we'll also be doing our top ten films of 1995. Indeed, we will. All right, so this, I think, is going to be a really good episode. But here's what I was thinking. This is how my brain works. A little, a little more of that behind-the-curtain stuff for those people who like <sighs> the behind-the-scenes stuff. So, obviously, the Pineapple Express is a movie about stoners. And so in my in my After the Ending, there are drugs. Now, I don't, I don't do drugs. I don't judge people who do do drugs, so I don't care either way. But I don't personally partake. But then I was like, well, do I mention that just because they're in my ending, I don't do drugs? And I'm like, well, then people will think I'm square. But then if I don't mention it, then people will think I'm really into drugs. I'm like, what do I do? I'm like, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even going to mention it at all. And now I just did a whole talk about it. But anyway, Pineapple Express, there's drugs in it. Take of that what you will. Make of it what you will. And you do what you want. That's all I have to say about that. That's it. Don't do drugs. But if you do do drugs, do them responsibly. Don't hurt other people. There you go. And there you go. There you go. I think that sums it up nicely. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's get into our films. Oh, before we do, before we get into our films, actually, I just want to sh- make a little, a little shout out uh, at a recent uh, local comic book convention here in my neck of the woods. I went and I got to meet uh, Jim Starlin, who is the creator of Thanos, one of the greatest villains of all time in comic book world. Very jealous you met him. Thank you, thank you. Very uh, soon to be one of the greatest villains in, in movie world too. But uh, anyway, I met a really cool guy named Steve, and he was awesome. And we hung out some. We got to talk in. It turns out he has a podcast also. His podcast is about comic books. Surprise, surprise! Since I met him at a comic <laughs> book convention, uh, he hosts it with a couple other guys. The show is called Marvel Noise, and it is about Marvel comics, and it's really cool. I listened to it. If you're into comic books and you want, it's a long show. It's a couple hours, but it, they only put out I think like once a month, so you get like a nice big blast, and they cover everything Marvel from uh, current stuff to kind of like back issue stuff and and news and and movies and all kinds of cool stuff so it's a good show and steve's a good guy so a little shout out to those guys over at marvel noise uh check it out if you if you're interested cool i do like some comics so well i like a lot of comics but i'll I'll be checking that one out (laughs) very good oh and also if any uh if any comic book publishers such as marvel dc or image or a dark horse or all the rest if you want to send us some comics or graphic novels to review we're more than happy to take them and we will give a shout out on the podcast indeed uh, because we do love comics with that we do why we didn't start a comic book podcast i don't know but damn it yeah i, think I it's films. We, <laughs> i know for a fact you don't because your website is called live for film so you do not hate them sir you live for them oh my god i do <laughs> <laughs> meanwhile let's get into our movies for this episode shall we start with the pineapple express yes let's do this <laughs> yes let's get through it shall we yeah 
Yeah, smoke them if you got them. But don't, because, you know, don't do drugs or smoke cigarettes because they're bad for you. Unless you want to, in which case we don't judge you. Yeah, yeah, it's up to you. Just, you know, be kind to other people. There you go. <laughs> okay, yeah, so let's do, should we do it? Yep, go for it. Let's okay. get it over with, Phil. Get it over with. Pull the band-aid well, off. Yeah, I, I do like Pineapple Express. Mike doesn't. We'll discuss. But anyway, it's from 2008, directed by David Gordon Green. Uh, and it's, uh, we follow a process server called Dale Denton, played by Seth Rogen, uh, and his weed dealer called Saul Silver, played by James Franco, who sells a particular strain of uh, weed called the Pineapple Express. They end up going on the run from Hitman and a corrupt police officer after Dale witnesses his dealer's boss, Ted, murder a competitor while trying to serve papers on him. Uh, lots of things happen, but Ted ends up capturing Saul and takes him to his base, which is under a barn. And Dale asks another drug dealer called Red, played by Danny McBride, to help. But Red backs out. Dale goes on a rescue mission. Dale and Saul kick ass. Lots of the bad guys get shot. Red turns up and saves Saul by driving through the barn. But Red gets shot and is apparently dead. And the barn blows up. Dale carries out Saul. And it turns out Red is just wounded. And he meets up with them while the barn burns and everybody else dies. They end up going to a diner for breakfast. And Saul's grandmother picks them up to take them all to hospital. And that's Pineapple Express. Yep, sure is. <laughs> It also stars Gary Cole and Kevin Corrigan, Craig Robinson and Rosie Perez. Oh, and Egg Begley Jr. And I, I quite like it. I Really? Yeah. Do you? Yeah. Why? I like the fact it's quite funny. I do like a stoner comedy, but I also like the fact it's it's quite it's got quite a bit of gratuitous violence in it. Yeah? Yeah, it's a good mix. Okay. Yeah. So I went to see this movie in theaters. I just saw it on DVD. I, I, I absolutely hated it. I mean, I honestly, I, I can't think of another movie we've done an after the ending for that I, I've hated to the level I hate this movie. Uh, I know we've done a, one or two that I'm not a huge fan of, but nothing that I outright hate, but this is definitely the one. I, I thought it's the most unfunny movie on the planet. And for those of you who are longtime listeners who know how much I really, really can't stand Danny McBride, yeah, yeah. Here's here's the reason. It's because this movie was the first time I really remembered seeing him, and he was the most annoying character in the history of film. Like him and <laughs> and Walter Sopcheck from The Big Lebowski. If I could get the two of them in a room and and lock them away forever, and shoot them into space, I would be very happy because they're the the two worst characters in the history of cinema. And then he doesn't even die at the end. He gets shot like fifty seven times, and then he he lives. And <laughs> while he's bleeding to death, he's sitting there eating breakfast in a diner. It's uh the most inane movie ever and i absolutely hate it oh, well, the only no. part of it i don't hate is james franco i think he's kind of funny in it like i like his performance he's, he's very good in it yeah it doesn't save what is a horrible horrible movie but i think the question on everybody's lips mike is what do you really think of the film <laughs> i know am i soft pedaling it too much should i yeah, be a little I'm, more honest i'm just kind of you're flip-flopping i'm not sure yeah. which way you're following it but uh yeah but no uh just one of the bits of trivia i was gonna have at the end because you mentioned it because you like uh james franco in it originally uh, Seth Rogen was going to play the drug dealer character, but then he ended up seeing how much James Franco, how good James Franco was at it, and he, he went with him. Oh, there you go. Well, that that works, I guess. It's still a horrible, horrible movie, yeah. but I guess it would have been even more horrible if it was the other way around. So well, I shudder I shudder at the thought. Well, there you go. <laughs> uh, but uh, no, well, I personally like it. I, I do find it funny. It's, it's a good one to put on with some friends, uh, especially if you're having a few beers. Don't drink, be responsible. <laughs> that's our theme for this episode yeah uh, but no well I enjoy it Mike doesn't but we're going after the ending I, I just I'm just going to say this I don't want to ever hear you utter another goddamn word about cars ever again as long as we live if you like Pineapple <laughs> Express I will I will do something I don't know what that's how that's how insensitive but luckily we've got an entire ocean between us that's a good thing too because I, I think it would get ugly otherwise but with that in mind 
I'm guessing some of the characters are going to die. I, I don't know what makes you say that. <laughs> but what happens uh, in your after the ending? All right, well, as they emerge from Saul's grandmother's car to go into the hospital, there it comes. Dale, Red, and Saul are all hit by a bus and killed. Yes! <laughs> They're rushed into the hospital, but it's too late to save them. Saul's grandmother holds a funeral for the three, but when nobody shows up, she realizes it's because they're three of the most unlikable human beings ever to walk the earth. <laughs> she slowly walks back to her car, shedding a single tear for her grandson. Wait, 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 hold on, Judd Apatow exclaims. Stop the screening. What, what, is, what is this, David? What, what do you mean, David Gordon Green replies. It's the end of the movie. This wasn't in the script I approved, Judd says. Well, I, I added to it, David says. Yeah, I mean, I realized that these these three characters are completely unredeemable, so I thought I'd turn it into sort of a, a morality play, you know, teach people that doing drugs is bad and that, you know, you can't get, like, shot 27 times and then go eat breakfast at a diner. I mean, really, when you think about it, the whole thing is pretty ridiculous. I don't know what Seth and Evan were smoking when they wrote this. <laughs> I got to think about this, Judd replies, and that's where we're going to leave it for now. Okay, so we've got a bit blazing saddles. I guess. I, a, little, <laughs> a little meta, you know, but... Yeah, oh, okay. I had to do something with it because I couldn't let any of the characters live. So yeah, yeah. Or do they though? Ooh, yeah. we'll see what happens. All right. In the okay. meantime, interesting. Yes, thank you. Let's hear what's going on then with your day after. Okay. Having had the injuries stitched and bandaged, the chair went back to Saul's place. Stitched and bandaged, and also major, major surgery. Yeah, yeah. But it's you know it's uh, because of the twenty-seven bullet holes in his body. That's that's the power of weed. <laughs> okay. No, it's not the power. Don't weed. do drugs, you know, kids. Don't, yeah, don't do drugs expecting you, to, you know, to be able to survive a big shootout because it's not going to happen. I'm just going to say, <laughs> if any people who are listen to our show like regularly listen to it while stoned, they're going to find this one a real downer because we keep telling people not to do drugs. <laughs> so apologies to anybody out there who's, you know, listening while smoking. Yeah, we, we've got to say stuff like that because you know lots of people listen. Yeah, exactly. So, but uh, Dale had a passing thought that the police could possibly want to speak to them, but he was too tired to think of anything else. They'd all planned to smoke and eat, but they all fell asleep as soon as they got back to the apartment. Dale woke up to the smell of fresh coffee, bacon and eggs. He was sat in Saul's living room. Saul was in the kitchen cooking, and Red was still sleeping on the sofa, with a little bit of blood, you know, poking out through the bandages. Yeah. Dale wandered into the kitchen, and Saul explained that he hadn't smoked any weed, so was focusing on making breakfast, but he asked Dale to get busy rolling up some joints for after they had eaten. Dale, still in a daze, went back to his chair, grabbing a bag of Pineapple Express, he poured it onto the table and got to work. Finishing one joint, he looked up and was surprised to see that the Pineapple Express was in three small piles, but he had no recollection of doing that. He was then distracted by Saul bringing in the food. And that's my day after. Hmm. All right. I'm curious to see where that's going. Something about those piles, I think, but we'll see what happens. Hmm. I will see. Indeed. Okay, but what's going on then with your, with your discussion between the producer and the director of the film? All right. Well, after much debate, Apatow decides to scrap the downbeat ending. The Pineapple Express premieres as originally scripted and is a complete bomb at the box office. While disappointed in the box office take, David Gordon Green is secretly a little bit satisfied as he knows his original ending would have made the film better and it probably would have been more successful. Then he goes home, lights up a joint, and gets really high. <laughs> While he's high, he's visited by the ghosts of Dale, Red, and Saul. How could you kill us, man? Ghostly Dale says. We're not just characters on a piece of paper, man. We're real. We live in the realm of the imagination, at least until you tried to kill us. Yeah, Saul says. Yeah, man, you like suck, man. Like, really? Red starts to open his mouth, and David interrupts him. You, stop. You don't get to say anything. You're an abomination. Worst character in the history of the world. Because of you, angry podcast hosts will hate the actor who played you forever. Just shut up. 
He turns back to Dale and Saul and says, It's too late, guys. The movie's out and it bombed. What can I do? Saul says, Write a sequel, man. Bring us back to life. And that's my immediate aftermath. Well, are you sure you weren't smoking something when you wrote this? <laughs> no, but I was trying to. Uh, I was yeah, trying to keep in much, the spirit of the this this film universe. Yeah, it's very much how I imagine. Like, a, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Yeah. I, I hate this movie, but I wanted to write an ending that people who like this movie would enjoy. That's so, that's good. That's very I good. Didn't want to write an ending that was just crapping all over the movie. Yeah, that's the best way to be. Except except for Danny McBride. Fair enough. I'll crap Fair all enough. over him all day long. That's a whole other film. For the record, I'm sure Danny McBride is a really nice guy. I have no personal you know, issue with him. I've never seen anything about him that he's a bad guy. I just hate the character that he plays, and he kind of plays the same character in everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So someday he'll do like a dramatic role, and it'll probably be like my favorite performance of the year. Yeah, I could well be. I reckon there is a good actor there, but uh, as you say, he's often... Very typecast in what he does. I can wait and see. But for now, I hate him. So moving on, let's hear your <laughs> <laughs> let's hear your immediate aftermath. Okay. A few days later, and life had returned to normal. So far, the police had not contacted them, uh, but Dale had some holidays, so he took some time off work to get himself together. After what he'd been through, he felt that maybe he should do something more with his life. But first, he thought a smoke with Saul would make things better. At Saul's, they smoked and listened to music, and once again talked about their crazy adventure. As time passed, Saul got serious and told Dale that how he thought the apartment was haunted. Dale rolled his eyes, but that changed when he heard Saul mention how his weed kept getting put into strange piles when he wasn't looking. He also mentioned how he'd imagined seeing his old school friend, David Wooderson, wearing a strange helmet in the bathroom. They both stopped, looked at the elaborate joints that they were smoking and laughed, then they ordered a pizza. And that's my immediate aftermath. I'm going to say I'm a little bit confused. Maybe not confused isn't the right word, but I'm not sure where you're going with this, I'll say. Well, if you think of the other film we're doing and also the name of the character in a, that uh, I mentioned. Okay, it's starting to click now. It's starting to click. In a certain other kind of stoner movie. Right, right, right. Maybe put things together. Right, there you go. You keep getting older. They keep staying the same age, <laughs> that kind of stuff. All right, all right. I like it. <laughs> all right, that makes sense. Okay, but uh, what's going on with your long term? Okay, well, it's taken three years, but Pineapple Express 2, The Slow Train to Nowhere, has finally hit the big screen. <laughs> David Gordon Green self-produced it, putting up $10 million of his own money. He also wrote it and directed it. Seth Rogen and James Franco came back to reprise their roles, although Danny McBride was written out of the script. The film is only released in limited release, platforming on four screens to start and then slowly rolling out to more theaters. This time around, the characters are reformed pot smokers who open a charity to help former drug addicts start new lives. It's a poignant story with a very different tone from the first film, and the critical accolades start to roll in. Eventually, the film goes on to win six Oscars, including Best Screenplay, Best Director, and Best Picture. <laughs> nice. After the awards, David Gordon Green goes home and lights up a huge blunt. Before long, ghostly Saul, Dale, and Red appear. Dale looks at David Gordon Green, takes a hit off his joint, and says, You did good, man. Thank you. Then Red says, But why wasn't I— Shut it, David Gordon Green interrupts. Just shut it. <laughs> Red shuts up, and the four of them sit there and enjoy their joints. And that's the end. Excellent. I like that. Thank you. That's good. Thank you. Yeah. And just for the sake of, you know, legal reasons, we're not saying that David Gordon Green smokes uh, marijuana. <laughs> right. He might do, but we don't know. That's right. This is just a character in a film that doesn't exist. Exactly. Thank you. Yes. Thank you for pointing that out. Yes. But uh, it's, yes, that's very good. Thank you. Thank you. And let's not forget that uh, he's directing the new Halloween film. I know. I know. I will That he co-wrote with Danny McBride. Yes, I know. I let's. I know, and he's and Danny yeah. McBride is in it, and he's supposedly playing a different kind of character. So, so let's wait and see. This could be the turning point. It could be, Mike. could be, or it could be when I join you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
All right, well, I want to see how yours all wraps up, so give us your long term. The days and weeks passed in the smoky haze. Saul and Dale kept noticing the strange piles of weed, and Dale, in his more lucid moments, started writing down the number of piles. Eventually, he saw that it was a recurring series of numbers. While shopping for snacks, he realised the numbers were the same amount as those used in the lottery. <laughs> Six numbers. He started playing those numbers, and then a few months later, he won $78 million. <laughs> totally stunned, he, he went to Saul's to celebrate. They smoked, drank, and watched the news. A report said that a new strain of marijuana had entered the ecosystem, and was having an adverse effect on the, the corn crops in the world. But it was thought that a solution would soon be found. A barn near the source of the marijuana was thought to contain a pure genetic sample of the new strain, but it had been destroyed when the wrong six-digit code had been entered into the computer system. At this point, Dale and Saul had fallen asleep, and the earth would slowly sink into starvation. <laughs> and that's my, uh, my long-term. So... <laughs> I like so so the numbers weren't the lottery numbers they were the six digit code but yeah which would, but have, would have helped they, solve you know the problem with uh, right. all the corn crops being destroyed uh, uh, oh I love it Phil that's fantastic yeah. so somewhere in a tesseract yep there's a person going oh those dumb idiots I, I like it I like and I like how you tied it into interstellar even so yeah. nicely done well it's that's when I first saw uh, Pineapple Express I thought in a few years time if Christopher Nolan makes a film about interstellar space travel this is a perfect intro for that. It is a it's a great double feature, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, well done, sir. Well played. Thank you. All right. Meanwhile, I believe it is time to hop on board the Trivia Express. So, Phil, do you have some trivia for us? Okay. This was the first stoner comedy to make over $100 million. Oh, God. At one point during the film, James Franco ran into a tree and needed a few stitches. Mm. Uh, Seth Rogen rolled every joint in the film. <laughs> okay. The diner scene at the end of the film was improvised. Shocking. Yes. Because it's such a good scene. I know. Uh, the fight scene between Saul, James Franco, and Carol, played uh, played by Rosie Perez, uh, was basically, on the most part, improvised. James Franco was worried that he'd hurt Perez, so he asked permission to do certain things during the fight. In the end, uh, Perez did get hurt and was quite bruised after James Franco bit her too hard on the thigh, oh. but she didn't tell him that until filming was done because she didn't want him to feel bad. Wow. All right, then. There you go. Yes. That's uh, Pineapple Express. Very good. All right. Well, we got that out of the way and we survived, Phil. So let's move on to uh, a, a very good movie. Um, and it is Interstellar. Yes. And it's, uh, I consider it's Christopher Nolan film. And it's one of his more recent ones. I, I quite like this one. Yeah, I, I was going to say, because I know you're not typically a huge Christopher Nolan fan, but uh, you do like this film, I take it then. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I like his, I like Memento. Lots and lots, but as it's gone on, I like Batman Begins, but as it's, it seems to be, I like them less and less as they go on. But this one was like uh, a blip, which I, I like quite a bit. Good, good. Yeah, I, I really yeah. enjoyed this film. It's, um, it's you know, it's a big kind of smart, long science fiction epic, um, but it's got some great moments. And that scene when, when he leaves to go take to leave Earth and his daughter doesn't say goodbye to him and then she runs out after him like oh yeah, I yeah. get choked up just thinking about it right now I'm already like oh my god that is one of I the know, most I know I did get very emotional watching it god. I think it is because I do have a daughter well, yeah as well, so. yeah and it's yeah. but man I mean like that scene is just so heart wrenching but it's so brilliant like that that's you know that's really impressive yeah. but does um, work well. It is. It's a good movie. So I'm and a great cast too. I'll get into that in a minute. But I'm I'm, I'm glad you like it because I do enjoy it quite a bit as well. But yeah, do you want to give us a rundown of the events that happen in the film? I do. If 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 that is possible. <laughs> yes. Yes. I was very happy to uh, to to draw straws and get this one. So. <laughs> yes. So spoilers ahead, everybody. If you've not seen yes. it. Yes. So Interstellar, directed by Christopher Nolan, starring Matthew McConaughey, Anne Hathaway, Jessica Chastain, Michael Caine. It's a lot of rhyming names in the beginning there. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, 
Wes Bentley, Casey Affleck, Entley, and Matt Damon. Sorry. Yeah, John Lithgow as well. Yeah, right, and John Lithgow and, and Matt Damon now. Um, Matt, Matt Damon. <laughs> so bear with me. I tried to keep this as short as I could, but it is a complicated film, and I couldn't make this any shorter than it is and still have it make sense. So it's a little bit long, but but I'll, I'll try and get through as quick as I can. Okay, everybody, smoke them if you got them. <laughs> In the mid-21st century, a ruined environment threatens humanity's survival. Joseph Cooper, played by Matthew McConaughey, a widowed engineer-slash-former NASA pilot, runs a farm with his family, including headstrong daughter Murphy. A series of ghostly dust patterns, or, or marijuana piles, if you will, um, <laughs> are revealed to be gravitational distortions, and they lead Joseph to discover a secret NASA project run by his former boss, John Brand. He reveals that some time ago, a wormhole opened near Saturn. Several teams have gone through and reported back that there are habitable planets. There's a plan to test a new propulsion drive, which would allow humanity to leave the dying Earth. There's also a plan B, a spaceship with 5,000 frozen human embryos on it. Cooper agrees to pilot a ship to check out the new planets, meaning he has to leave his family behind. Cooper, Dr. Amelia Brand, played by Anne Hathaway, two robots named Tars and Case, and a few other scientists head into the wormhole. They land on one planet, lose a crew member in a giant tidal wave, and realize that by the time they escape, 23 years have passed on Earth. Meanwhile, grown-up Murphy, Cooper's daughter, played by Jessica Chastain, is now a scientist, and she learns from a dying Dr. Brand that Plan B was always the only viable option. They then head to another planet, the group in space, where they meet Dr. Mann, played by Matt Damon, who's there from an earlier mission, but he's gone crazy and tries to kill the group and steal their ship, but he's killed in the attempt. Now 51 years have passed on Earth, and Cooper sacrifices himself to allow Dr. Brand to land on the third habitable planet, causing him to fall into a black hole. He enters a tesseract and ends up as the ghostly dust from the beginning of the film, and he gives Murphy coded information via her watch that allows her to solve necessary equations in the future that will help save humanity. Cooper wakes up on a giant space station orbiting Saturn. He reunites with his daughter, who is now an old woman nearing death, and she was able to develop the gravitational propulsion theory using the data that Cooper provided. Cooper is reminded that Dr. Brand is still out there, so he and Tars take a spacecraft to rejoin Dr. Brand and the other robot who are setting up a human colony on the third habitable planet. And that, my friends, is Interstellar in a nutshell. Excellent. That was as simplified as I could get it. I really tried to trim it down, but it was tough. Yes, yeah, yeah. Phil, I am really excited to hear where you're going to take us on this journey, so give us your day after. Okay, well, Cooper wakes up in Saul's apartment and smokes a big joint. <laughs> no, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. <laughs> and then he gets hit by a bus. No. <laughs> yeah. It's all, it was just a big stoner dream. He was there the whole time. No, okay, uh, Cooper goes into cryosleep. And it, so it only seems a few minutes later when he wakes up and Tars advises that they are, in, they are in orbit of the planet that Brand is on. They land and are greeted by a number of humans. The colony that was there is working quite well. Cooper panics when he cannot see Brand amongst the colonists. He fears that he has lost her to the passing of time, but then he sees her coming out of a building and she's barely changed. Brand sees Cooper and they run to each other and kiss. Love was a powerful force in the universe and has brought them back together. Only a year of relative time has passed for Brand, so they're still, you know, close in age. Actually, probably close in age for Hollywood. Yeah. So that's uh, the way it goes. Uh, the colony ship had got there many years before them, so the colony is quite well established with buildings, quite a big population, and things are going okay. Brand takes Cooper to the main meeting area and opens a bottle of whiskey. All right, all right, all right, says Cooper. <laughs> and that's my day after. All right, very cool. 
Well, I'm going to say not not like last week with the Princess Bride, but a few similarities in our endings as we go through. Just just a couple yeah, of, yeah. couple of similarities. Yeah. But very cool. I like it. Thank you. What's going on then with yours? All right. Well, Dr. Brand is despondent. It's taken her months to set up the living habitat to the point where it could sustain human life in large numbers. At this point, she's confident that New Earth, as she's taken to calling it, could handle up to 5,000 humans comfortably and safely and not run out of food, water, or supplies. Her territory started small, just enough to sustain her, but now it's grown over the past three years to the point where it could reasonably be the start of a whole new planet for humanity. She'd need more people and more materials, of course, to help it grow, but that would come. Or it would have, anyway, if her communication equipment hadn't all been damaged beyond repair. She cursed Dr. Mann. The damage he caused to their ship meant that while she was able to land here safely and create a home, she couldn't let humanity know that there was a whole new world waiting for them. She lamented Dr. Mann's mental breakdown. She couldn't help but daydream about an alternate reality where he discovered a way to farm potatoes like she had, and instead of going crazy, <laughs> he could have been some sort of pioneer. In her head, for some reason, she'd nicknamed this alternate Dr. Mann the Space Pirate. <laughs> she sighed, knowing that it was only a flight of fancy, and then set about tending to her garden. And that's my day after. Excellent. I like it. Thank you. <laughs> well, I, you know, I just kind of figured, I was like, Matt Damon here on this planet, like if he could have yeah, just done yeah. like he did in The Martian, he would have been fine. He would have been totally fine instead of, you know, you just got to blame the man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what's going on in your immediate aftermath? Okay. The colony has been growing well. Cooper is now one of the official scouts tasked with mapping the planet. On one scouting mission, Cooper is taking a break for lunch while a mapping drone finishes the survey. Tars is with him as usual. And Cooper realises that the robot hasn't said anything for an hour or so. He asks for an update, but Tars stays silent. Cooper knows that the robot can be a little bit tetchy now and again, so he shrugs and checks the, the lander for any maintenance issues. A few hours later, the survey completes, Cooper goes back to Tars. He's just about to slap the robot when it springs back to life. Complete, says Tars. What's complete, asks Cooper. The Tesseract compilation, said the robot. I've been working on an analysis of it for these past few years, and have now determined how it was created. All right, all right, all right, says Cooper. <laughs> and that's my immediate aftermath. Very cool. You just like getting that in there whenever you can, huh? Oh, all right. Yes, yeah. I do. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done. Oh, that's my immediate aftermath. All right, cool. So what's going on, though, with yours? Cooper and Tars continue their journey to Dr. Brand. So far, they've survived a meteor storm, gravitational fluctuations, a power loss that left them stranded in space for three days, and a close call with the event horizon of a new black hole. But they were on course. Cooper was often lost in thought. He spent most of his time watching a series of video journals that his daughter had recorded for him throughout the course of her life. She had never given up hope that he'd return, and so while most of the journal entries were a way for her to document her scientific progress, he still enjoyed watching her grow up. It didn't hurt that she had started each journal entry with, Dear Dad. Cooper often lamented having to leave his family behind, but he knew that it was his team's efforts that allowed Murphy to solve the equations that let humanity escape from Earth. Eventually, after two years of travel, Cooper and Tars came within orbit of Dr. Brand's planet. As they orbited the planet and prepared to land, Cooper was shocked to see something he didn't expect from orbit. Was that a city? Cooper and Tars took the lander and settled just outside one of the biggest buildings in the settlement. As Cooper stepped out of the lander, he looked around in amazement. The city looked just like one on Earth. As he took a few steps and rounded a corner, he found himself standing in front of a large bronze statue, easily two stories high. He was shocked when he realized the statue was of himself. I think you know me well enough to know by now that that's where we're going to leave it until the yeah. long term. Damn it all to hell. They really did it, didn't they? It was damn dirty. Okay. <laughs> it's not that kind of statue. <laughs> Just half of Matthew Very McConaughey good. holding his arm up with a giant blunt in it. You know. 
<laughs> Naked playing the bongos. Right. Don't do drugs, kids. All right. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so Phil, let's hear your long term then. Okay. TARS now had the plans to create a Tesseract, but as it needed the energy of a black hole to activate it, there was still a long way to go before it became something that they could recreate. However, Cooper had also found strange ruins on the planet that seemed to hint at human colonization rather than aliens. Through further study, Brand determined that the ruins were actually travelling backwards through time, meaning that they would gradually seem to repair themselves. But that would be many years later. With the colony going well, a few years passed by. Sadly, Brand and Cooper found that they were unable to have children, but they were happy together, and they just got stuck into the work. Then one day, some of the ruins had repaired enough for a message that had been written on the wall to be read. It said, We need Brand and Cooper. Shocked and not sure what it meant, Brandon Cooper discussed it with the Colony Council, and they decided to head out towards the black hole for the time dilation effect so that they could return to the colony many years later. All right, all right, all right, said Cooper, <laughs> as they blasted off to an uncertain future. And that's my ending. All right, I like it. Very, uh, very in keeping with the spirit of the film, I think. You know, slightly ambiguous yes. ending, but I dig it. Yes, who knows what's happening in the future, but uh, you sort of, it always hints at... Uh, future humans might have built the Tesseract. So yeah, yeah. There we go. I like the I like the, the, the time you know in reverse thing too. That's a neat little yeah. mystery there. Thank you very much. But what's going on with your uh, your final bit and the giant statue in this big city? Okay. Well just then a voice rang out behind him. Joseph Cooper? He turned around to see a woman he didn't recognize. It is you, isn't it? she asked. Cooper nodded silently, still too dumbfounded to talk. I think you'd better come with me, she said. The woman took him to one of the biggest buildings in the city, and when he went inside, he was overjoyed to see Dr. Brand waiting to greet him. Welcome to New Earth, she said as she hugged him warmly. You must have a lot of questions. He nodded again. Dr. Brand sat him down, got him a cup of coffee, and then explained. It turns out that Cooper had been closer than he thought to that black hole, causing time to dilate, and some 40 years had passed since he set out to rescue her. In that time, she had managed to fix her communication equipment and lead humanity to New Earth. Now there was a burgeoning population of five million humans and growing. Why haven't you aged, he finally managed to ask. Well, Dr. Brand replies, turns out it's one of the wonderful side effects of this planet. Oh. The human aging process has slowed down to about 10% of its usual span. We estimate that people on this planet will live to be about 600 years old. Why the statue, he asks, still in shock over it all. None of this would have been possible without you, she replies, putting her hand on his. I know it's a lot to take in. Why don't you get some rest and tomorrow I'll take you on a tour. Cooper is taken to a lavish room. He changes into some comfortable clothes, looks at a picture of Murphy, kisses it, then lays down to sleep. It's the most peaceful night's sleep he's had in his entire life. Ah. And that's the end. Very nice. Thank you. Uh, a, a nice ending for him and also for humanity. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that's important. Yeah, that's very good. Cool. All right, there you go. So those are our endings for Interstellar. Phil, do you have any inter-trivia for us? I don't really know what that means, yes. but I'll go with it. Yes, I do. <laughs> uh, all right, all right, all right. Here we go. Uh, for a cornfield scene, they grew 500 acres worth of corn. And after filming, they then sold it and made quite a, a nice little profit on it, which is good. <laughs> That's cool. Uh, the wormhole explanation that they do in the film using paper and pen is exactly the same as that in 1997's Event Horizon. And um, we went after the ending of Event Horizon back in episode 24. Uh, Christopher Nolan had the film's visual effects created in advance and had those effects projected onto big screens placed outside the spacecraft set so that actors would see a real environment when they looked out of the windows instead of a green screen just to help make it all the immersion just that little bit more, make it easy for the actors. Wow, that's which cool. I quite like. Yeah. Uh, Tars was a practical puppet 
that was controlled and voiced on set by Bill Irwin, and he was then digitally erased from the film. Wow, that's which crazy. Which is also kind of cool, yeah. Because those are really complex, like, they're not complex robots, but they are the way they move. Like, I would have assumed they were all th- CGI, but that's impressive. Yeah, I know they want it to be as real, you know, a real thing on set. Yeah, so yeah, it's, yeah. it's funny that they have they had a real robot and then use CGI to get rid of the, the puppeteer. Yeah, right, get rid of the human. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's Interstellar. Very cool. All right, so those are our endings. Let's move on then to 100 Years of Hollywood and 100 Episodes, wherein we take a year from the past century of Hollywood and share our top 10 films. And this week we are talking about 1995. So Phil, why don't you climb in your time machine and tell us what what things were like back in the middle of one of my favorite decades. I'll just say it, my favorite decade, the 90s. <laughs> okay, 1995, the UK Prime Minister was John Major and the US President was Bill Clinton, uh, who was playing a saxophone and... Other things. No, I was, I'm not going to go with <laughs> yeah, that. Just leave that alone. <laughs> uh, so we had a rocket launch from the Space Exploration Center in Norway, was briefly interpreted by the Russians as an incoming attack. Luckily, they all saw sense. Uh, Steve Fawcett became the first person to make a solo flight across the Pacific in a balloon. It was also the year of the sarin gas attack in a Tokyo subway, which I remember quite well for some reason. I don't know yeah. why. It was a big news at the time. Yeah, yeah. And there was also the Oklahoma City bombing, unfortunately. The Space Shuttle Atlantis docked with uh, the Russian Mir space station for the first time. O.J. Simpson was found not guilty for the murders of his former wife, Nicole Simpson, and Ronald Goldman. And NASA's Galileo probe entered Jupiter's atmosphere and that's 1995. All right, very good. There were some births. We had uh, Gigi Hadid and Timothy Chalamet, who was in uh, Call Me By Your Name, but he also played the young son in Interstellar. I was just going to say, he was in Interstellar. Cool. Yeah, which is kind of cool. And we sadly saw the deaths of Peter Cook, Donald Pleasance, Doug McClure, Fred Perry, Patricia Highsmith, Easy e Vivian Stanshall, Ginger Rogers, Elizabeth Montgomery, uh, Frizz Freelang, Lana Turner, Wolfman Jack, Bob Ross... Ida Lupino, Jerry Garcia, Louis Marle, and Dean Martin. And that's 1995. All right. Uh, So what did you think then of uh, the films in 1995 before we get into it? Well, especially coming after 2004, which we did last week, was such a disappointing year. I thought this was a very strong year for movies. And actually, I had a really hard time... I mean, basically, like, my 1 through 10 could all be my 1 through 10. Like, any one of them could have probably topped the list or been in my top 2 or 3. So the hardest part for me wasn't picking the 10 films yeah. as much as as figuring out what order to put them in because there's some really good ones. And I love a lot of them very equally. So my my order is a little bit arbitrary, but I tried to put it as best as I could. Yeah, I know what you mean. I'm, 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 a, I'm a lot the same, especially with, like, the first, you know, the first... Uh, Six or seven films. Yep, yep. But, and there's lots that I wanted to put in as well, but couldn't sort of put... They just kept getting pushed down. Yeah, and my and coming... And honestly, I had to, I had a hard time coming up with my first couple, my, like my one and two, because there's definitely a split this year between films that are really good and really important and a split between films that are really good and really fun. And so I was yeah, sort of... Yeah. I kind of kept going back and forth on which I thought I valued more. I know what you mean, yeah. So I don't know if my list is going to go the same way as, as yours is, but... We'll see. Well, there's so many films, so many decent films this this year. They could be could be very different. Yeah, I, I could see it. I could let's, see it. But let's see them. What's your number ten? All right. Well, I'm gonna actually start with my number eleven, and <laughs> I'm okay. cheating a little bit. There's a film I wanted to mention. I didn't quite, I, I couldn't quite justify it in my top ten, but it's a film that I think nobody really appreciates that I happen to really love. So I'm just gonna mention it on the outset as my number eleven. It is Sabrina. With Harrison Ford and Greg Kinnear, and it's a remake of a Humphrey Bogart, Audrey Hepburn oh, film. Yeah, yeah. It didn't do very well at the box office. Critics weren't overly kind for it. It's a movie I have a real soft spot for. I just happen to really, really like the film. 
Um, and so I wanted to get it in there. So that's my number 11. That's good. Because sometimes, sometimes I cheat because it's, it's our show yes. and we can do whatever the hell we want. So, uh, But my number 10 is a tie between two really fun comedies, very 90s-ish comedies, great soundtracks, great casts. They are Mallrats and Empire Records. Uh, of course, Mallrats was Kevin Smith's follow-up to Clerks. I am proud to say, two weeks in a row, actually, I, I got to brag last week about Shaun of the Dead. <laughs> uh, I saw Mallrats in theaters on opening night, um, so I'm happy to be able to say I did that. Uh, great, just a fun film. And then Empire Records is one of those sort of cult classics that, you know, it grew on video, people discovered it, it's got an amazing soundtrack, just a really fun film about a group of teenagers working in a record store, uh, Damn the Man, and all that stuff, and I, hmm. I really love it. So those are my number 10. Uh, well, I've never seen uh, Empire You've Records. You've never seen Empire uh, Records? Are you serious? I know, it's always one of those, you know, it's one of those ones, I, I must see that. I do, I have them every week, it. but I'm surprised at yeah. that one. You really gotta see it, man. It's it's fantastic. My number Number 10 is actually it's two films as well both comedies uh one of them is Mallrats, all right which i really like uh, and also tommy boy is the ah one. yes very good the one starring uh, chris farley and david spade but uh, yeah Mallrats i really like at the time lots of people were saying they didn't like it because they really liked clerks and yeah that, this came out but i just i just thought it was very funny very silly uh, i really like jason lee and it was the first time i'd seen him and there's lots of little catchphrases and you know, the, the kid's still playing on the... Uh, the yeah, the kid is back the on the escalator. So many good bits. Uh, but also we had Tommy Boy, which is just a silly comedy of Chris Farley being Chris Farley, but it does make me chuckle and he's doing the whole fat guy. Yeah, small, yeah that's the best part of the movie. Load, <laughs> loads of funny bits. Yeah. And when they drive them, they've got the things on the radio. But both of them make both the films make me laugh an awful lot for different reasons. And that's my number 10. Very good. I, uh, Tommy Boy did not make my top 10. I do like it. Just it's not a top 10 film for me. Yeah, yeah. All right, my number nine is the obligatory Disney film, sort of. It is Toy Story, the original Toy Story, which I know number nine might seem low to some people. I love Toy Story. It's a great film, but there's a lot of other movies I like this year, too. So if Toy yeah, Story could have yeah. been my number three also. I mean, it's it's a great movie, and obviously it created this fantastic world. It launched Pixar, which eh, may be a good or bad thing, but Buzz Lightyear, Woody, all those characters, it's fantastic. Uh, obviously, it's it's the roughest looking of the Pixar films, but it, it's still... Still pretty impressive animation. So I do love me some Toy Story, uh, and uh, that's my number nine. Yeah, it didn't. Uh, I do love Toy Story, but it didn't quite make my list. It was one of the ones that kept getting pushed down. I think mainly because I've just seen it an awful lot, probably. Yeah, I think that might be part of why it came in yeah. where it did for me as well, yeah. too. The novelty has worn but, off a little just because I've seen it so many times. Yeah, but it's a, it's a great movie, and as you say, sort of started it all. Yep. Uh, but that's what it is. But my number nine is one. It's The film itself isn't that great, but I just like the whole feel of it and the acting in it, and it's just weird and strange, but it's The Prophecy. Okay. Starring Christopher Walken, Elias Cotius, uh, and Viggo Mortensen, basically is uh, Christopher Walken is the uh, the angel Gabriel who's basically evil and there's a big war going on in heaven. I love all that kind of story. Yeah. Always like it in the, the Neil Gaiman uh, comic books and other things like that. But just the way it is, the way all the angels used to sort of they all perch. They all when they, they don't sit on chairs, they all perch on things. It's really. It's just good the way they have this total weirdness and unworldliness of it all. And uh, Viggo Mortensen as is, is Lucifer, who's just amazing. He's only in it for a couple of scenes, but he's real creepy and scary. Even though there's no there's no particular makeup, it's just all the angels wear like long black coats, and and that's pretty much it. But it's just strange and things that the the, the, uh, the human characters aren't that hot in it. But I just love the whole. It just has this sense. There is this sense of this epic war going on in heaven, and you're just seeing 
the only way the human mind can comprehend it is these strange figures walking through amongst us. But uh, that's my number nine. All right. Good choice. Well, my number eight is a film that also never got as much love as I wanted it to, unfortunately. This is when I really wanted to see it be a bigger hit than it was. It is The American President, starring Michael Douglas oh, yeah, yeah, and Annette yeah. Benning. Um, it's written by Aaron Sorkin, interestingly. So it's kind of like, what if the, the West Wing was a romantic comedy? Um, but it's <laughs> yeah. directed by Rob Reiner, so it has that great warmth to it. And it's just, you know, it's, it's a story of a, a president who's a widower, and he falls in love with a regular person. And it's sort of the trials and tribulations of what he has to go through to sort of date someone in, in the most public forum on the planet. And it's just this really charming, funny, romantic, lighthearted, endearing film. I've always loved it. I always wanted it to be a bigger hit than it was. I remember seeing it a couple of times in the theaters. Um, and it's just a really, a really great film. It's one of those movies that just makes you feel good to watch it. It's a feel-good movie, I guess. So yeah, yeah. Um, so that's my number eight. A good choice. I've never seen it all the way through in one sitting. It's one of those ones where I've always caught bits of it and then never got around to seeing it all in one go. It's a good film, for yeah. sure. I, I definitely recommend checking it out. Cool, okay. Uh, my number eight is Living in Oblivion, uh, like a small indie film which stars Steve Buscemi, Catherine Keener, and it's also Peter Dinklage's debut role. Uh, but it's all about... Uh, a film director played by Steve Buscemi trying to make this low-budget indie film and the problems he has with his cast, crew, uh, the set, and also his ego. And it's just the various interactions with them. All the characters are quite funny. There's a great... The Peter Dinklage scene is when he's filming a dream sequence and Steve Buscemi's going, it needs to be this certain way. And he goes... And then Peter Dinklage is going, have you got me in this because I'm a dwarf? Because it's a dream sequence. And he's going, well, yeah. And he's going... How many how many dreams have you had where there's been dwarves in it? And, you know, I don't even dream of that thing, but it's just great. Peter Dinklage just goes off on one. It's a great debut. It's a funny film. It was just, just one of those ones which I heard about and finally caught one day, and I really enjoyed it. Very cool. I, I feel like that's one of those movies I saw back in the 90s, and I just yeah, I couldn't remember yeah. if I had watched it or not, to be honest with you. I'm, yeah, you I'm, probably, it's probably, yeah. I know there's quite a few of those films going through the list. Where I was going, I've have I seen that one, and I couldn't, couldn't right. I, that was that time. I was at that age where I pretty much all I did was I, you know, I'd walk down a blockbuster after work every night, rent a movie, and I, I, you know, me and my friends would get together and watch movies, and that's all we did. Yeah. And I feel like I watched every movie in the video store for for most of the mid '90s. So I feel like I must have seen it, but I just there's so many I can't remember them all. You know. Of course, yeah, and and also because we're watching them on uh, on video. We all, you all sat through the trailers, so you'd be seeing the same trailers over and then, over and over again. So even if you didn't see the film, you'd be going, well, you'd have this memory of the film right. you know, from the trailer. Right, yeah. That's, there we go. Okay, well, my number seven is uh, not going to be a surprise to many people. It is a James Bond film. It is GoldenEye, the Pierce Brosnan debut as James Bond. And, and definitely, I think, the best of his uh, films, although I like most of his films quite a bit. But GoldenEye, I think, is um, kind of underrated. I mean, it was a big hit, but I think it's one of those movies, it, it, even now, 20-some-odd years later, it holds up really well. I mean, some of the Bond stuff from the 80s and the 90s yeah, yeah. kind of feels a little dated, but GoldenEye actually holds up really well with a great story, really great action set pieces, you know, terrific performance by Brosnan, I mean, really owning that role, you know, great Bond girls, um, and just it, it, it just gets everything right, and it sort of updated Bond a little bit, got away from some of the cheesiness of the Roger Moore films and took it in a more serious direction. Not as serious yeah. as it would go with with Daniel Craig, but um, it's a really good film, though. I really think it holds up well, and I, I, it's one of those ones I sort of rediscovered on video. I think I saw it in theaters, and I was like, oh, that was pretty good, but you know, it was different. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't Roger Moore. Obviously, Timothy Dalton, you know, kind of came and went. But um, then I, I watched it again 
a few years later and I was like, wow, like I, I didn't think I realized how good this film was when I first watched it. So it's it's become one of my favorite Bonds. So there you go. It's my number seven. An excellent choice. My number seven is a double whammy and it's GoldenEye oh, is one of good. them. Oh, good. Cool. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree with everything you said. It was a great intro to, uh, well, almost well a reboot of Bond. It was Pierce Brosnan's first first one. I also enjoyed the GoldenEye game. Everybody loved that game. It followed quite closely there and my friends hated playing me because I'd always I'd always find a place to hide and use the proximity bombs and then just <laughs> snipe them. But anyway, that's another thing. But yeah, great film. Lots of the opening sequence is just brilliant. Uh, and the other one at my uh, number seven is Die Hard with a Vengeance, uh, which sees, it's the one with uh, Bruce Willis teams up with Samuel L. Jackson. And, uh, and this time he's not trapped in a building or an airport. He's trapped in New York City. Yeah. And I quite liked that it. it was a uh, it caught some of the the charm of the first one and what I liked about the first one, but didn't again didn't quite work. But it, I like I like the third. I like Die Hard with a Vengeance more than Die Hard Two, so that's uh, that's why we went back and that's why I made my list. All right, fair enough. I, I you know I love the Die Hard movies. I do like that one, but it didn't make my top ten. I just I don't like it that much. I always there's parts of that movie I love and I always really wanted to like yeah. it more than I do, but. Um, never quite gets where I want it to. And I still can't figure out that stupid water jug thing. They don't explain it good enough and it really annoys oh, me. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. anyway. That's the one I, every time I watch that, I go, I can't remember what the answer is. I can't remember what Yeah, it, is. it doesn't make sense because they don't explain it. So you're like, well, that doesn't work. <laughs> you never tell me how to fix, how to solve it. you got to get some water jugs into yourself. You're right. All right. Well, my number six is Crimson Tide starring Denzel Washington and Gene Hackman. And um, it's the second great submarine thriller of the 90s after uh hunt for october but um i really love this movie you know it's 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 not a complicated film i mean basically it's it's the story yeah. of the submarine gene hackman plays a very by the book sub commander not a bad guy um but he gets a message a partial message to launch the nuclear nuclear bombs and and of course denzel washington steps up and is like well we shouldn't do that yet because we don't have all the information and so that becomes this battle for power on this submarine and it's a real nail biter it's a tony scott film one of his best and and really one of the ones that kind of put him on my my radar yeah and you know it manages to work in a lot of humor there's a whole subplot about which silver surfer is better in the comic books and stuff like it definitely appealed to has a really smart script yeah that's because uh quentin santino did like a right did a polish of the script i think which is where you get all the comic book stuff in it yeah yeah yeah, you can definitely feel it. And so um, I really, I just really like this movie. It's one of those films that, you know, you sort of forget about and then it's on TV and you get sucked into watching it and you go, man, I forgot how good this film is. Yeah, it didn't make my list purely because of that, because I, I, I did see it the once and I've never seen it again. So I need to, I know I enjoyed it, but I couldn't remember how, how good it was. Right. You're going to watch it again one of these days and go, oh, I should have put that on my list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> probably. I I think probably will. Yeah. Yep. A good choice, though. Thank you. Okay, my number six is is uh, Things to Do in Denver When You're Dead, a crime thriller, uh, which stars Andy Garcia, Christopher Lloyd, Treat Williams, Steve Buscemi, Christopher Walken, uh, Gabriel Amwar, and Fruza Balkan. It's all about this group, uh, gang of criminals who are given a job by the man with the plan. Everybody has these cool names and things in it, uh, but it ends up the man with the plan's kid is a bit of a weirdo he gets and one of the people in the gang kill him but it's just really good there's this this group of criminals and it's just got this they've got their own slang which they use and then you've got steve buscemi in it as this hitman called mr shh who doesn't say anything and it's just oh it's so good it's great characters you're never quite sure where it's going to go i uh quite violent quite funny 
and you just want them all to have boat drinks and sit on a, a yacht at the end of it. Very cool. Uh, I have to say that's actually one I have not yet seen, so now it's my turn to add to my list. <laughs> all right, well, my number five is a film we have gone after the ending of before. I'll let you figure out which episode it was, but it is The Usual Suspects, uh, Brian Singer's debut. Uh, I know we talked about how great it is when we went after the ending of it, but it is just... Yeah, the, episode 23. Episode 23, it's so it was a while ago, actually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but really one of the great crime thrillers... Uh, at least of the 90s, if not period. Um, you know, great cast. Introduced the world to Kevin Spacey, who's just amazing in it. And what an ending that movie has. An excellent choice, and it could well turn up on my list. I had a feeling it might. Yes. Uh, okay, my number five is a Catherine Bigelow film, and it's Strange Days, uh, starring Ray Fiennes and Angela Bassett. Mm. Uh, it's, uh, it's a sci-fi film. Uh, set just a couple of days before the the end of 1999 and it's all to do with like a kind of virtual reality where people record their experiences and you can buy them and play them through so you can you can experience like whatever you want uh, you know the sort of sex drugs rock and roll mountain climbing and things but then there's this one which comes up and it's of somebody getting killed and it's all to do with uh it's a big conspiracy and it, it brings in everybody and ray finds this guy selling these these what they call squids they call them in the film these discs of these events but it's i really liked it it's it was a crazy there's a few of these ones where they dealt with like vr kind of technology back in the 90s uh this one worked really well i felt although it never did that well at the box office or anything like that but it had a great style to it great performances a great concept and it was done really well interesting choice I, I will say this is a film i actually really disliked so um i'm 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 a little surprised it's on your list but i can understand obviously you had a different reaction to it than i did yeah well that seems to be the thing people either seem to really like it or they just don't like it at all all right it's time for my number four but uh-oh houston we have a problem <laughs> it is apollo 13 uh, a great great film by ron howard easily could have been my number one this is one of this is where i start to get into a really difficult sort of where do these films fall i love this movie and it's one of those movies that i've realized i love even more because even if you already know the ending which most everybody does yeah it's still nail-bitingly suspenseful the whole time and that to me is really impressive i mean i remember when i saw it the first time and i was like okay i'm pretty sure these guys get home but i was young you know and i was like well i don't know maybe i'm wrong this was you know kind of pre <laughs> little sort of pre or right at the dawn of the internet so it wasn't like you just you know looked it up on your phone but I was like, okay, I think they make it home, but I don't know. And I remember just being there like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. And then I didn't see the movie for a long, long time because I'm like, well, I know what happens, you know. Yeah. And then I saw it again, and I was still the whole time just like nail-biting, nail-biting, nail-biting. It's so suspenseful, and it's so well put together, and it looks great, and the performances are great. And it, even though you know what happens, it doesn't take away from the film even 1% of how great it is. So. That's my number four. Yeah, it didn't make my list, but it is a great film. I mean, you always know Tom Hanks is going to get back and open up that, uh, you know, shrimp fishing thing he's, he's got and <laughs> buy some chocolates. My number four is one we went after the ending with back in episode 79. So not that long ago, it is 12 Monkeys. Very good. So Terry Gilliam, we talked about it just a couple yeah, of episodes ago, say. but uh, <laughs> don't need to go into much. It's a great, great time travel uh bruce willis not acting like bruce willis which is always good and you never quite it's just the whole the whole concept of time and is he really crazy or not is, uh, is done very well but that's my number four very good pick 
Well, my number three is also 12 Monkeys. <laughs> I really love this movie. If you want to know what we think about this movie, just go back two episodes and listen to it because we we talk about it at length. So that's all I'm going to say. But my number three is 12 Monkeys. It's a fantastic film. Excellent. My number three is one of those ones, you know, you put it with the kids. It's a good, uh, good comedy. It's David Finch's Seven. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. Don't put it on with it's the kids. Laugh riot. My God, don't put it on with the kids. Laugh riot. But it's uh, Brad Pitt, Morgan Freeman, in a city where it always seems to be raining, investigating a series of mur- a series of murders, uh, and uh, you find out who the murderer is quite early on, which was a big surprise. But it's it's just the way it's done. I feel is just a great piece of cinema, a great piece of storytelling. Brad Pitt, Morgan Freeman are great together, and it's just it's a great detective story, but with a dark core to it. And even from the opening credits, I, I just really like everything about it. Yeah. And it was also the first mainstream film by David Fincher, who's gone on to become one of my favorite directors. Um, you know, he did Alien 3 before that, but it, it, this was his first sort of mainstream and it really took the world by storm. Yeah, he had a lot more control over this right. film. So right. it, uh, it shows it's uh, done very well. I love Seven. I think it's a great film and it is one of those ones that just got pushed off my list. And mostly it's because as much as I love it, it is a hard film to watch. Yeah, yeah. But it is a great film and it almost made my list. No, I'd say, as I say, as we've been saying, there's just so many films like that in 1995. Yep, yep. All right, well, I told you earlier I had a, a split between the more important good films and the more fun good films. And this is where I sort of veer towards the Towards the, the fun films. I, I did my important ones with Apollo 13 and Usual Suspects and even 12 Monkeys. Now I'm going for the fun. So my number two is Desperado, uh, directed by Robert Rodriguez, starring Antonio Banderas and Salma Hayek. And I just yeah. love this movie so much. It is one of the greatest action films of all time. I love the way Rodriguez shoots it. It's over the top and it's bombastic. And, and Antonio Banderas is just this great like man on a mission he's got the guitar case with the guns and and he's doing the sideways shooting thing and there's like the you know perfect amounts of slow motion and it's just it's Robert Rodriguez at his best it's just so much fun and I just I love the action scenes in it so much like when I just want to watch a movie where I can check my brain at the door and just have fun for 90 minutes straight this is the film that I go to I mean it is just I love it so that's my number two brilliant I'm glad I made your list it almost made my list but it's been a long time since I've seen it so it's it's while I was doing the list I was going I need to watch that again because I remember enjoying it but I I wanted to watch it again before but didn't get a chance Uh, yeah I think in the mid 90s I watched this movie about once a month for a good year or two I've seen it a lot (laughs) I've seen it a lot of times my number two is you've mentioned it it's the usual suspects very good Uh, great cast great story great ending yeah that's all you need to know, really. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we we, we all know it. We've, we we've all co- know it. We've kind of covered it. We talked about it in our episode. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm gonna. I have to believe we went in different directions for our number one. I don't see this as your number one film. But when I look at the number, the movies in this list, and I look at which movie have I watched more than any movie on this list. Which movie can I still quote to this day, from start to finish? It is Bad Boys. Starring Will Smith oh, and Martin yeah, yeah, Lawrence, yeah. directed by Michael Bay. This is back when Michael Bay was unknown, and it sort of put him on my map. And for the next two or three movies he made, he was on the track to becoming my favorite director before he decided to become mostly terrible. Yeah, it's before he became too Michael Bay. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. This is like, like it's a perfect Michael Bay film. It is, I mean, it's some of the best action sequences you'll ever see in a movie 
in your life. There's so much comedy. Will Smith and Martin Lawrence are perfect together. They're so funny together. Taya Leone was in it. She was great. She was smoking hot. You didn't know who she was. And and nobody knew if Will Smith could even carry an action movie. I mean, it's funny to think of that now. Yeah, this that's is true, actually. Yeah. Pretty much his first major big movie after the, the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, you know. Um, and certainly as an action star, nobody knew if he could do it. And then this movie came out and it's just, it's funny and it looks amazing and there's all that great slow motion and just, it's so big and I, oh man, I, I absolutely love this movie and I, I, like I said, I can still quote it to this day and it's a shame they never made a sequel. That's <laughs> <laughs> all I'm going to say. Yep, someday, yeah, someday yeah, they'll make a yeah. sequel to Bad Boys, but as far as I know, there's no, yeah, there's no made, yeah. sequel to Bad Boys because, I mean... You know, nobody would want to make yeah. a sequel to Bad Boys that was terrible. I mean, who would do that? So I know there's I just know. the one Bad Boys film. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, oh, it's, I'm glad I made your list. But my number one is Michael Mann's Heat, mm, right? Which is sort of like uh, a remake, kind of of uh, his film he made, LA Takedown. But this one, Heat, is the one with Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, and Val Kilmer. And we went, uh, we went after the ending for this one back in episode 44 so you can go into more detail about the film back then but i really like it it's a long drawn out film but it's great seeing al pacino as the cop chasing rob de niro as a criminal who's willing to drop anything in 30 seconds seeing both of them work around each other and put them together it's, it's got a few good heists in it which are always good and yeah just a great film and extremely well made and it's my number one very good choice but that's uh, 1995 yes an excellent year for movies uh, to, I think our lists diverge quite a bit so there's a lot there for people to check out and, and see what they like see what they think and check out some movies if they haven't seen some of them yeah I had a feeling it'd be quite different just purely from the amount of films which could have made my list and then I kept going back and forth because I redid this list about five six times right right indeed yeah. Very cool. All right. Well, that's 1995, and that is the end of our episode. So, Phil, why don't you tell people what they can expect to hear from us next week? Next time, we'll be going after the ending of The Shadow and Almost Famous, two films which I, I like quite a lot. Likewise. And we'll be doing our top 10 favorite films of 1963. There you go. Please do come back and join us then. As always, we thank you greatly for listening. We really do appreciate it. And uh, that's going to do us for now. I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And we'll see you next week. After the ending. Well, comics, man. Comics are so good. They are. They are. Comics and movies, man. It's my two favorite things. Yeah. How's your family, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> hold, on, hold on a minute. Hold on. Thanks, Phil. I don't know. That's just because I, I just had a lighter. Okay. I just had a lighter. I was going to say, it's a very good sound effect, but I, I, yeah. I don't know what to do with that. How could you kill us, man? Ghostly Dale says. Actually, it would be more like this, wouldn't it? How could you kill us, man? No, that's like a bad Seth Rogen. I can't do his voice. How could you? <laughs> that's like some kind of, like some murdered Muppet. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? How, oh, no, you killed no, us. How, how could you kill us? I can't do, I can't do a Seth Rogen, obviously. All right, I'll leave that out. He has. Does, he does have quite a, a, got a weird voice. voice. It's not deep. It's like deep it's voice. like gravelly. It's like he gargles glass for breakfast. <laughs> well, good to know you can't do it either. <laughs> Maybe I can. <laughs> Sound like Perviota a little bit. Yeah, you never see Perviota and Seth Rogen in the same room. <laughs> the secret is out. <laughs> All right. Well, my number five is a film we have gone after the after the ending. It's a film we've gone after the ending of. Oh. It's a very it's a very posh film. Uh, it's, ac- it's actually not. So, all right. Well, my number film, no. <laughs> <laughs>